Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. The rumors are true. I am Ben Standing. I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic and I'm the host of this here podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, all the fun places you do your podcasting. Lots to get to today. Ron Rivera spoke earlier today. I'm talking to you guys Wednesday afternoon. Ron Rivera spoke for the first time since early February and with free agency around the corner, the Brandon Scherf franchise tag situation. We've got quarterback news, lots to get to. Helping me navigate those waters, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch. In addition to that conversation, I've got not one, two more for you. Um, Two guys from The Athletic, Joe Rexroad, longtime voice in the Nashville area, radio, newspapers, all that good stuff. He joined me to discuss three people connected to the Tennessee Titans uh, in terms of free agency. One of those didn't play for them this year, but yes, Marcus Mariota. We've talked a lot about this guy, but look, there's reason to, at least from the context of the quarterback, but there's other interesting players there, Corey Davis among them, to get into. Then... Ben Baldwin, one of the more noted, I think, analytics guys out there in the football world on Twitter and social media, also uh, writes for The Athletic. I brought Ben on board to help me uh, discuss viewing free agency from that perspective of of analytics. What does he, who does he like? Uh, What are some of the numbers, I guess, show that maybe we in just sort of consuming football the way that we consume it? Maybe there's some interesting angles there. We talked a lot about the quarterbacks and the receivers, but some other positions as well. So fun conversations to be had all the way around. I will note in the conversation with Michael that I recorded just a few minutes ago, there was a moment during the podcast where I was informed and, and then and thus reported it that Washington had had tendered exclusive rights for agent Kyle Allen. Uh, I'll let you see if you can guess where that moment occurred in the podcast, because I kept talking while I was having the report and tweeted out. But uh, we'll see if you can figure that out where, where that where that was. Um, you don't have to get into, we don't have to get into that too much. I think it was a mere formality. But Michael and I do talk about the quarterbacks and we'll get into some of that as well in there. So lots to get to for sure. And by the time you hear this, I will have an, a, a new article up on The Athletic. My takeaways from Ron Rivera's po- uh, press conference, some of which, of course, were discussed here today, but some other thoughts we didn't get to as well so all that coming up here on the standard room only podcast again always thank you guys for checking out uh the podcast and just also a quick note shout out to uh sponsors of this episode my friends at all pro reels uh you can go check them out uh all over instagram all over twitter uh they do a great job when it comes to filming games video photography all that stuff go check out my friends at all pro reels All right, let's get to it. Um, I'm going to start with the news of the day, and that will be Ron Rivera's press conference. So here's my conversation with Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, um, back by popular demand to the podcast, uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who, like me, was just on the uh, Zoom press conference with Ron Rivera earlier today. We're going to go through what we thought about that. But first and foremost, Michael, the weather is nice. I got a window open. You're outside. I'm feeling more optimistic. I don't know if I'm feeling more optimistic about the Washington football team, but I'm feeling more optimistic about life today, at least. It is delightful to be out here. I apologize for any uh, cars or buses you might hear drive by, uh, but I'm, I'm not I'm not going into a soundproof studio, not on a day like this, not, not doable. 
I will also say I appreciate that I'm back by popular demand, although I do need to confess that was just my vast army of Twitter bots uh, lobbying for this appearance. <laughs> you know, it is funny. They were all, I saw like all these people <laughs> all registered on Twitter like at the same day. It was really weird. I, <laughs> I, I, now, now that you said that, I'm kind of noticing that. Uh, yeah. yeah, we, uh, I, I don't know how much we'll, we'll uh, we can because you had some report on this. We, can, we, we didn't really discuss the Dan Snyder stuff too much with Ron Rivera. He was asked a question about uh, does he think the report should be public? And he basically said that's over his head, which is true, or, you know, it's beyond his control, which is true. And also he didn't really want to get into it, which is understandable. But uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, your bot story was quite, was, was quite interesting. Uh, I guess just to say on that front, it's been, what, what is today? Wednesday? It, that was Friday. Yeah. Is it odd that it's been super quiet since? No, I'm not talking about the bots. I just mean like the, the reporting aspect of it, like nothing's happened since. On the Wilkinson report aspect, uh, I would say because you, you go back to the junkies report on Friday. So in, so in a holistic sense, we we're kind of all waiting for another shoe to drop on that. But that's one where like, I mean, shoot, they were like 19 steps ahead of everybody else. Uh, just in terms of seeing it, like we're not even playing catch up like they're, you know, like they're running laps around the stadium and, and we're still at the starting gate uh, on the bot front. I, I don't know that there's a lot of cleanup work to be done on that, so to speak. It happened. Uh, it, it received the appropriate uh, amount of flogging. I, I don't I don't know that there's I don't know that there's a giant advancement to be made in that story beyond uh, uh, the initial. That's ridiculous. All right. Well, if you haven't already read it, go, go read Michael's story, the Richmond Times Dispatch, about uh, these random Twitter accounts that may or may not have been uh, <laughs> uh, brought to life by uh, factions in favor of Dan Snyder to help his cause, among other things, uh, out there in social media uh, to, to, po to po perhaps uh, give the owner some positive light. Um, all right. So Ron Rivera talked today. Uh, first time he's spoken since, what was it, early February? Right yeah. after they hired uh, Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew, today was a solo appearance, just him. Uh, we got him for 30 minutes, kind of the usual deal over Zoom. And uh, we just decided here we're going to each throw out uh, three takeaways from the Zoom. We'll, we'll alternate back and forth. Um, we'll start. Uh, you're, you're the guest. You are. You can go first. What's what strikes you as something you want to discuss first here from the Ron Rivera press conference? Oh, thank you for, for letting me tip off here. I, I, would, I would say that I rethought what I thought about the Brandon Sheriff contract after Ron Rivera's remarks. And obviously this is the topic du jour, but uh, you know, I went into this saying they could not have made a worse decision than franchise tagging Brandon Sheriff because it basically ensures he's not coming back on a long-term deal this year. You know, you're, you're looking at a guy who on the open market could get four years, $15 million a year. So, you know, $60 million total, probably 45 guaranteed, something like that. And, and you know, these guys are capable of paying him that if they want to. Now that he's on, now that he's 18 guaranteed next year, he has no incentive to negotiate long-term unless he really, really wants to be here long-term or something like that. But Ron's comments, he was asked about this and he went straight to, well, you know, we got a bunch of other guys to take care of too. And, and that made me realize, I don't think Ron intends to ever sign him to a long-term deal. I don't think Ron wants to pay that much for a guard. And, and so framed from that perspective, paying the 18 for one year of Brandon Sheriff is not the worst decision in the world. And I'll add that, that you know, and, and one of our points 
you know, one of the next takeaways will be they're going to take a big swing in free agency. That means you're probably not getting a compensatory pick if you let him walk this year. Uh, maybe you will next year because you're mostly taking care of in-house guys. So $18 million for one year of an all-pro guard and a third-round compensatory draft pick at the end of the day. I, I don't know, reframed that way, I'm coming around on it. So interesting. So, so you think that – so a standard deal – if they were going to sign Sheriff to a long-term deal, just looking at projections that are out there would be something in the neighborhood of like four years, 60 million, 40 million guaranteed, something like that. Uh, do you, am I hearing you right? You don't think they were even wanting to do that much. Like they weren't really even looking to do that, that they're willing to take the 18 million for this year. And then whatever happens after that, they'll just deal with it. That's how I'm reading that. Cause if you figure this, I don't think in this in this offseason, in, in this salary cap climate, he's going to do better than four for 60. Do you, do you agree on that? Something like that. I mean, if you, you know, if we want, I mean, so that's, uh, you know, uh, 15 million a year. If you want to tell me it gets to 16 million, sure. But yeah, something in that neighborhood makes makes right, it makes sense. How about on the guarantee? You get them to 45 or 50, maybe? You know, maybe. The, the, upper yeah, end. M- maybe. And just, just for clarification, because he isn't the only player that was tagged twice. Justin Simmons with the Broncos was tagged twice. Leonard Williams with the Giants was tagged twice. The difference is that if you just look at those positions, those two players, their salary they're getting on the tag if they play the one year is still in line with the top five at their position uh, because of whatever. It's still in the line with that. But the guard position, because it's lumped in with tackles, the number goes up. So Sheriff at 18 million is making almost 4 million more then Brandon Brooks with the Eagles, who's the most on a multi-year contract. So Sheriff's number is way out of whack with the position where those others are, 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 are not. So, I mean, I think the if you get him, if that if we get him the 15 million a year over four years, that would be in line with those other positions. I just wanted to say that part. Yeah. So, so now that all that's on the board, if you end up tagging him again next year, it's 22. So your, your two-year guaranteed cash outlay is $40 million. If you wanted to sign him this year on the best deal available, you would give him $40 million guaranteed and you'd get him for four years and your per year outlay would be different. So tagging him makes no sense if you want him here long term because this offseason, you can beat all bidders. Whatever the best offer is going to be for Sheriff, you can beat that. And so there's two outcomes here. One is, you know, he doesn't want to be here at any price. And I'm not sure I buy that. You know, you could sell me on that if you want. I don't think I buy that that he wouldn't want to be here at any price. So option number two is you don't want him here at that price. And, and I think I think that there's a logical argument to be made. You shouldn't be paying a guard $15 million a year when you got the defensive front you've got and they're all coming up for contracts. So I don't know. I think he's here for one more year than he's gone. And that's exactly how Ron Rivera wants it. Yeah, so interesting. I think we're going to end up at the same point, but starting from a different place. I think, I mean, I was told that like at the time that they tagged him that they did try to negotiate a long-term deal. Now, my question is, and I asked him, I asked Rivera one of the sheriff questions. Normally, I, I'm, I'm questioning all my questions because I'm like, you know, you, you get on the clock and you start the phone. <laughs> but, but I was okay with the question I asked, which was basically to say to him, how concerned are you? if he's playing on the tag this year, knowing part of Rivera's talk today was like their overall plan is about building for the long haul. It's not just about taking a big swing. This time you you take that big swing, you miss, you start over and you don't want to do that. You want to have a sustainable thing. So my point was, all right, well, if you sign this guy, if he plays one year on the tag, he's the likelihood of him coming back decreases a lot. And if you're trying to build a little long-term, 
how concerning is that? And he said whatever he said, which I'll get to in a second. But if I could redo it again, my question might be, did you, did you feel that you made him your a fair, if not your best offer? Because if they did and he said no, then they have two choices. Either say, okay, well, this isn't going to work. You can go to free agency or F you. We're keeping you. We're going to make you play this year on the $18 million, and we'll just deal with whatever happens next year. We have the cap space. You're obviously good. You're not going to just, you know, we know enough about Brandon Scherf as a person. He's not just going to, like, lay down on the job like a Hainsworth situation. He's going to go play the position, do the best he can, and then whatever happens. And by that point, we'll see. Maybe we think Sadiq Charles can handle it or whatever. We're just in a new world and we'll deal. So I think Rivera, my sense was that Rivera was annoyed that he tried to keep Sheriff on the longer term deal in some capacity. But then when it said to him, no, he was like, yeah, you know what? Screw this. Cause he definitely was his, from a tone standpoint, not, he seemed almost resigned to like, he's gone after this year. He did not seem like he was co- confident at all that he'd be back, which why would he, if you're not going to get him the long-term deal. But yeah, I took it as they wanted to keep him. Whatever the reason Sheriff side was like, nah, we're good. He's like, all right, screw it. We're you're staying on this money. You may be happy, so are we. We'll, we'll use you for this year, then that's probably it. And it could be a Kirk Cousins situation. Kirk wasn't going to stay here at any price. Now, they also lowballed him, so you got, you know, who's to say what would have happened if they had actually given him a, a top tier offer? Maybe he would have changed his tune. Some people just don't want to be here, though. That, that, that is true. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Sheriff's in that crowd, though, just so we're clear. I don't, I'm not putting him in that group yet. Yeah, I mean, he at the end of the year, he said, not just that he say all the right things about wanting to stay. He was enthusiastic for a normal person, let alone for Brandon Scherf. Um, he was very, very excited to say he loved Ron Rivera. He loved John Mascow, the offensive line coach. He wanted to stay. Seemed like it was all headed in that, in that positive direction. But, you know, when money hits, when money gets involved, things can get uh, things can get interesting. Uh, there's, a, there's also there's so many good guards on the market this year. They did him a huge favor by tagging him. I don't think he was going to get 15 on the open market in the end. I really don't. Well, that that's that's certainly interesting for for sure, and we won't know obviously at this point unless there's some sort of dramatic change. My, I guess my understanding is he could at any minute sign the tag. I don't think he has to wait for the new year to start. And as we're talking, I don't know if I've heard of any of the players who are on the tags have signed. I guess I was assuming that for him in particular, he would rush to sign it. But, uh, you know, as far as I know, at the moment, we're talking at 3.30 on, on Wednesday. That hasn't happened yet. But I believe he's probably, he could sign he, it at any minute. Yeah, he's probably in a duck blind somewhere. So when, when news get, I don't know if they have cell phones in rural <laughs> Iowa, but w- whenever news reaches him, uh, he will sign that piece of paper. That is what, for sure. What, what do we think the celebratory beer is? Uh, it's Bush Light, but, like, what's the specific <laughs> – what's the specific is there different flavors or different i don't know what's going on with i haven't looked in the bush light section in a while of the of the beer store to be honest all i know is i want to be at that party <laughs> all right well i'll I'll let, I'll let you report on that one and you can uh, get back to us uh, um, all right is, is your number one sheriff as well or are you gonna you gonna grab a different one off the board yeah, he was on my list for sure i'll i'll go with a different one um uh, we'll, we'll save the quarterbacks we'll get into that one uh, i'll go with the linebackers he was asked specifically kind of basically what are you looking for at linebackers? He, you know, Ron had called out that position last year. Obviously he played it in the pros. So did Jack Del Rio. Feels like he's got an affinity for it. And it's a position they need help in. It is the weakest position in the group. Uh, you know, you got Cole Holcomb, John Bosick played every more or less every snap in, minus a game or two. Um, I think that's way too much. They need help. Uh, Kevin Pierre Lewis is a free agent, whatever. So R- Rivera 
in 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 discussing the position, he basically said, not basically, he did say he wants a player like Kevin Pierre Lewis, maybe even Kevin Pierre Lewis, but like that kind of player. And what that said to me was, and he said that like Kevin Pierre Lewis played well down the stretch. Really? Okay, that didn't happen. He didn't play after playing he played 99% of the snaps in week one he played 19% of the snaps in his last start which is I think week 13 he didn't play the last three regular season games and then he played zero defensive snaps in the playoff game but he played 21 snaps on special teams he fell out of the rotation and I don't think it was just because Cole Holcomb came back he's interesting what 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 I think Rivera was saying is he wants an athletic linebacker a guy who brings speed these are things KPL does but somebody better, somebody more consistent that you can use in three downs. And I, I think if the Washington is going to spend big in free agency, the two positions I would guess would be wide receiver, though I'm not particularly excited for that, but wide receiver or linebacker. And there's a couple of guys out there, Matt Milano with the Bills comes to mind. We can get into him in a second. But I think he was saying that he didn't say he was going to want to go all in and spending at that spot, but that that's what he's looking for. A guy with speed and athletic linebacker who could play three downs just not Kevin Pierre-Lewis, even though he said he could bring him back, but I'm going to say that was uh, coach talk. Yeah, yeah, sure, you can bring Kevin Pierre-Lewis back, just not as the starter and not with any amount of money attached to the deal. You know, if if, yeah. if everybody if everybody else in the league also is lukewarm on KPL, like, sure, you know, bring, bring him back for a year or whatever. There's, there's no downside there, but you're not committing to him as the starter, and you're certainly not paying him as such. I, I agree with you that linebacker is the position I'm watching this offseason. I think it's fascinating. I, I think that for Ron Rivera's defense to be as good as it can be, there has to be a great middle linebacker. There has to be uh, a Thomas Davis in there. There has to be a Luke Keekley. That's how his that's how these things roll for him and you're right because he played it because Del Rio played it they have high demands and high expectations of that position uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they use their first round draft pick on it uh, you know they, I, I think that there's something to be said for bringing in a rookie and grooming him in, in the way you, you want it done in this system and there's certainly some quality guys out there uh, saving Collins Tulsa is probably a guy who jumps on that list for a lot of folks uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they go that way early in the draft because of the importance but I also agree with you wouldn't be surprised if they take a swing at it in free agency too I think it's a crucially important position and this could be a takeaway in and of itself but like and again this isn't rocket science or breaking news but like part Good. of the conversation was <laughs> part of the conversation with, with Rivera was about you know how are you what you guys are picking at 19. How do you how are you sort of weighing how you view the draft when free agency comes first and fill these various needs? And obviously you do have to consider, well, here are the strengths and weaknesses of the draft. Here's what we're probably looking at within the 19th pick. Maybe you look into the second round as well. And then based on that, if we think we can get certain positions, maybe we go in for agency for other positions. At a minimum, what he said was they want to, like they did last year, try to fill in some holes at a, at a baseline level so that they're not feeling desperate in the draft. And when you look at the draft, linebackers at 19, there's a bunch of guys there. You mentioned you mentioned uh, one of them, uh, Jeremiah Ousa Karamoa from Notre Dame is one. I, I think. Yeah, I like, uh, I, it, it, and I'll tell you this, I didn't mention him mainly because I can't say his name, so I appreciate you mentioning him <laughs> uh, on my behalf. <laughs> yeah. I've been pra I've been practicing that one. I had him in some mock drafts. So I've been practicing. Um, and uh, uh, Nick Bolton from Missouri, I think, is another guy who could be there. So th they'll have options. And uh, but but yeah, I just think that like linebacker, I, I think he identified what he wants from that spot and. Those are there are a couple of guys, uh, Matt Milano, Jayon Brown from the Titans. I think are two guys. 
and the higher end that you could look at. Um, uh, something, the article I have up on Athletic today, there's some other guys mentioned if they go further down the list. So, yeah, linebacker, I mean, again, it's not breaking news, but he basically has, has said they got to get more up out of that spot. Um, number two for uh, for you, what, what do you got? I was intrigued by by one of his opening comments, which was there's a few guys we're targeting out of the gate. And, and we know that Amari Cooper was one of those guys last year. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if one of the tight ends is on that list this year. Uh, but it, but it kind of confirmed for me. I think last year they had a very selective list. Like we are only going after these very small number of players who we really like. I think it's a bigger net this year. I, I think that they're going to land some big fish early on in this process. I think it's going to be an exciting first couple days much more so than what we've become used to. Uh, you know, there, there's that reputation, the Dan Snyder reputation. Oh, of course, he spends big on the first day of free agency. The truth is they didn't for most of the Bruce Allen years. So, you know, that, that is an old stereotype. But I, I think the boys may be back in town next week, Ben. I, I think it's going to be a fun one. I mean, look, they have, you know, they have the money. Now, they have less having, you know, with Scherf on the books, um, you know, at a minimum. So instead of having 53, now they're down to 35. He's also said that, you know, they want to use some of that money on their own. Now, that could mean, you know, Ronald Darby, I guess, would be right next on the list of um, notable free agents after Scherf. And that'll be an interesting one to see is, you know, I don't really know, you know, spot rack to this day. Is it spot rack or spot track? I still don't know. Do we know? I've always I've always said it's spot track. Yeah. It's like sports tracking. Okay. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm on it all the time. Should probably figure that out at some point. Probably, but you know why? 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 Why, why uh, put more uh, information in our in our heads? Oh, we already got enough. Uh, so, um, where was I going with this? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and look, with with the cap being as low as it is, they got they got room to play here. There there is no downside in them making a splash or two. They they can handle it. And the, and the league as a whole cannot right now, which puts them in a very favorable situation. Yeah, yeah, for, oh, for sure. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So for like Darby, like uh, Spotrack has, I think like four years, like 9 million annual. And that's a pretty good chunk of money for a guy who, I think, I think he was really good last year. He was, I think he was their most consistent corner, but that's, you know, it's a, that's a decent chunk. But the question is, I don't even know if a guy like that actually gets that. That may be what he would get in a normal year. But with the yeah. cap, so it was announced today that the cap is going to be 182.5 million. So that's down. Um, it was a, what 198 million last year. Yeah. We knew it was going to be lower, but now we have the number. I, I don't know if I see him getting that kind of deal, but I could maybe see one year for nine million, and then because I know agents are saying some agents have said to teams, I'll negotiate my my client on a longer term deal but not on the 182 million number on like the real number what what we know it's going to be back next year or the year after so some guys like a darby who's not going to be a the highest of high price or the highest of uh uh free free agents to to go after you know he may ultimately want or have to sell for one year so i'll be curious to see what happens but then you have the guys the extension guys the john allens morgan moses guys that they could you know use some of that money there you know if they spend it all in free agency Next year happens. You still have to figure out what you're doing next year. Um, so with some of this stuff, so it will be interesting to to see if you had to if you had to guess their like pinpoint their one big expenditure uh, that they make this off season. Would you guess? I I'm leaning pass catcher of some sort. Um, I, I think the linebacker guess is very prescient. If they can get a non-Trent Williams great left tackle 
uh, you, you probably go ahead and do that. But I, I think pass catcher is the safest guess. Or a tight end who's really good at blocking, too. Shoot, they need one of those as well. I just feel like we're somewhere. I'm setting a broad range so I can claim correct this next week. Uh, but, but, but somewhere in that broad swath of territory between the left guard and the sideline. Yeah, I, I won't bore the listeners with my take about why I don't really like spending big on receiver again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think they – I think it's definitely – uh, a possibility for sure. And it is the position that is loaded. Even, I mean, even with Allen Robinson and Chris Godwin getting the tag just today, uh, John Brown from the bills was released for, for salary cap reasons uh, as another interesting receiver to the mix. So there are definitely plenty of guys. And like I said, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the market plays out. I'm sure the Kenny Galladay's and Juju Smith Schuster's will get paid, but you know, some of these, some of these guys may say, Hey, well, I'm willing to take one year, 15 million or whatever, uh, rather than take a lesser money over four years and, and, and wait for the, uh, wait for the cap to, um, to, uh, go up. Um, all right. Do we have anything else on, on that one? That's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good topic. Great, great topic. Let's, let's hear your, uh, let's go to two B here. Would you put, put something else on the table. It's a very full table. I feel, feel like we're back at the <laughs> Back at the all-you-can-eat buffet here at the Golden Corral. I like it. Let's do it. God, can you imagine? I can't even imagine eating at a Golden eating at that type of. I mean, it's not even eating in a restaurant. One thing, but at a buffet when everybody's like hovering around the food. Oh my God, that just. Man, when we go to Vegas this year, I I hope buffets are back in because I love a Vegas buffet. I I'll, I'll crush one of those. Oh, a Vegas buffet but, is a whole other story. That's that, that's if, another world. Vegas breakfast buffets, the king of the buffets, because look, I get there, I wake up at 4am, I can't help it, you know, the time change, I, I, I physically can't sleep in. By the time nine o'clock rolls around, man, I'm ready to crush the entire spread. It's fantastic. I, I'll channel my inner John Gruden, just go to town out there. It's going to be great. <laughs> it, it's been established that I have, uh, that I have uh, Vegas ties, uh, haven't been there many times, mostly because of my dad. He took me there with my first time, when I think I was like 13. And the greatest meal I ever had in my life, not in terms of the food necessarily itself, but it was, I flew in late. I got, he took me, we went around and then like, we went to eat at like two or three in the morning. And and I got like a steak at like two in the morning. It was like, you know, loud. And I was like, this, this is real life. What is happening here? (laughs) This is is a great, I didn't know anybody could eat like this. This is the craziest thing uh, ever. And ever since then. Uh, I've been hooked. I cannot wait to go back. Yes. Yeah, so, and, and Washington plays in Vegas this year. Come on, come on vaccines. Let's go. We, we, <laughs> we got, we got, we got work to do. Um, all right. So this isn't about next season, but it is about something that does happen. And that's with regards to Alex Smith. Um, R- Ron was asked about um, the comments in GQ magazine. And that's not really my point. He basically said, Hey, I kind of agreed with what Alex was saying in terms of the, you know, Alex Smith, of course, basically said that he thought that he, he threw a wrench into the organization's plans by coming back from, from this crazy injury and that maybe he didn't feel the love, so to speak. And Rivera basically said, look, I was scared to death to put him back out in the field and we, I didn't know what to do. There was no roadmap to which, of course, I would say to Rivera, yeah, no, duh, who didn't feel that way? We all did. So, you know, I got no, I have no issues with anything on that front. But the second part, when I asked this, the follow-up question had to do with, you know, did Alex Smith's late season injury, the, 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 the uh, bone, bone bruise, first set a calf, something, then a bone bruise, um, how much did that affect the decision to let him go? And he basically punted on answering that one specifically. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that there were people who really thought that he may have gotten released because of the GQ comments. I mean, that's preposterous. 
No, but the people who the real reason he got released was, I believe, it was the one way for them to save all that money. Imagine if Alex Smith was still in the roster and then Scherf takes the tag. I mean, maybe there would be no Scherf tag at that point anyway. But like, would you rather be paying Scherf eighteen million dollars or Alex Smith? Um, can, you know, or or, or or Alex Smith counting on the cap for twenty three million. I mean, it's really a no brainer. You can't rely on Alex Smith over the course of over sixteen games with this situation. So Rivera punting on that, I think, confirmed what I didn't need confirming that you can't rely on him over the course of 16 games and he was going to cost a lot of money. So they moved on. So anyway, him punting, I just think was notable on that front um, because, you know, he gave yeah, you know, not a ton of direct answers, but you know, he, he was straightforward on a few things on that one. He kind of like, yeah, well, you know, sure. And yeah, well, yeah. So bye. I, I think that's a great, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you included that in your list because it, it, look, as much as I'm filleting this guy for the Brandon Sheriff decision and, and semi walking that back now, if they had paid Alex Smith what they were going to pay him this year, goodness, I would have taken a flamethrower to that. It would have been reckless and fiscally irresponsible and all of that. I don't know if he was willing to play for less money or not. Sounded like the answer was no. We, we wish him the best. It is truly one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen, but, but the future is not in Washington in 2021. I'll be rooting for the guy wherever he goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, yes, I mean, a great story is amazing to witness, but from a purely football perspective, there was no real logic in keeping him and they'll have no real issue with, with that. Um, all right. So we're down to our, each of our last takeaways from the Ron Rivera press conference. I'm here with Michael Phillips from the Richmond times dispatch. We haven't gotten to the actual quarterbacks. I'm guessing one of us will bring that up, but I'll let you determine if that's going to be you or if that's going to be me. So what's your final takeaway from today's presser? Ravens approach your spot and choose, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll choose to play offense here. Quarterback was my number three. I asked Ron if Kyle Allen would be ready for training camp. I intentionally made it as a far off, kind of a farish off target. Uh, the question just being like, is Kyle Allen healing? Uh, and Ron's answer was yes, he will be at training camp. Now, who knows if he'll be ready for OTAs or not? Who knows if we'll have OTAs or not? May not matter. Uh, but, but him being back for training camp, I, I think is, uh, an indicator that you'll have a three-way uh, quarterback competition. Uh, it, him, Heineke, uh, you know, and, and you know, goodness, goodness knows uh, who. It's it's a wide open field. My takeaway, though, that person will not be Cam Newton. He did not address Cam Newton specifically, but look, if he wanted Cam Newton on his football team, Cam Newton would be on his football team. He wants to go young. I, I believe that. I don't think he's going to draft. I don't think he's going to take Cam. I don't think he's going to take anybody older than Cam either. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why we waste time with Cam Newton ever at this point. I mean, like, yeah, he could have he could have signed him for free last year and instead he traded a fifth round pick for Kyle yeah. Allen. So yeah. Um, so there's that. So he, here's a, here's my thought. This is not my takeaway, but this is sort of related to the you you're talking about Kyle Allen. Uh, maybe this is obvious, but I feel like it's not based on just how people talk about these things. Look, I know plenty of people out there who who constantly complain to me about the quarterback situation. They're desperate for Washington to do something you know, just go do it already. I'm like, well, what do you want them to do? Well, they tried to get Stafford. I give them credit for trying. Didn't work out. Um, it was almost like an unfair fight on that one because the Rams had this weird situation where they could give them another uh, a viable quarterback and another pick. And for Washington, you can't give up two first-round picks in that scenario, so whatever. Um, so they tried that. Um, you know, I think they have been – they have looked elsewhere when asked if they're the most aggressive team going for quarterbacks, as some reports would suggest – Rivera said, well, I think it's what's important to note is that we're out there. 
Um, we're out I, there. Yeah, they're out there. Um, I've, I've mentioned that, like, I was told that they, they had tried to make a move for, for Mariota and then that kind of moved off of that. All that said, here's my question to you. Or not a question. I think it's just more like a statement. If we all believe they're going to bring Kyle Allen, then it's either you sign a free agent or you draft somebody, but you can't do both. And I think that is something that needs to be a, a, a pointed out because I think people are like, well, go draft somebody. Okay. If you wait for the draft, and this was one of the questions I asked Ron, how much is it that knowing that you're picking a 19 and you don't know what you're going to get there. And sure, you could wait and pick a, a Kyle Trask or David Mills from Stanford, like in day two, but that's not really addressing the position. That's taking a flyer, but that's not really addressing it per se. Um, but if you do that, you can't sign somebody in advance because you, what are you doing? You're not going to have, some teams don't even keep three quarterbacks on the roster. You're not going to keep four and they're giving Taylor Heineke some guaranteed money. And if you're going to bring back Kyle Allen, Rivera clearly believes in that guy, they're not cutting him. So you either sign somebody in free agency or draft, but not both. And I don't know if that's been discussed enough. Maybe it's obvious, but just wanted to mention that. Yeah, you don't have enough snaps to go around to, to, to have four quarterbacks in a, in a training camp quarterback battle. I, I would love to, to see them snag a day two or day three guy. You know, just, just to, those are lottery tickets and just buy a lot of them is kind of my thought on that. You know, there, there's very little downside. Find your guy. I, I don't love the idea of getting a quarterback at 19 because, look, anybody you take mid first round is a guy. That, that several other teams have scouted and passed on. Because if there's a good quarterback out there, he's going to be found by the league. You know, Mahomes lasted forever. And what did he go, 10? Like, it, you know, you, good quarterbacks don't slide to 19. There aren't enough there, – there aren't that many dumb teams in the National Football League. So I, I think that's the worst possible spot to take a quarterback. I'd still love to see a day two or day three guy. Bring some young guys in, kick the tires, see what they got. There's a little downside on that. But I completely agree with you on the either-or situation um for for sure i'm gonna i'm gonna punt my last one and turn it back over to you but just to say basically what did you what was your take on how rivera addressed the idea of the quarterback plan in general because he kind of like like almost made fun of like the impatience for the world out there i, I took it as sort of like he was basically saying look there's no great options we're gonna have to see so be patient what, what was your take on how he addressed the the broader quarterback talk yeah, I thought it parlayed with the answer of, uh, you know, hey, look, you know, I know we were good last year, but we're trying to build this long term. I, I think I think the, the answer is Ron Rivera expects them to take a step back next year in terms of wins and losses. I think the team could get better and the record could be worse. I don't think that's an unreasonable outcome in this in this next year. Uh, I think he's really cautioning everybody. Please don't expect back-to-back -back playoff appearances. It would be great if it happened, but but we're really running uphill in that regard, and I'm, I'm not going to throw everything at it to, to, to make that happen. I would much rather have, you know, a sustainable long-term winner than, than try to build on that momentum next year. Um, do you have like what so what's your plan at this point right now all they have is taylor heineke let's mention steven montez assuming he'll be probably the practice squad guy. nope <laughs> so right so right now if you can get to decide what what do you i guess what do you think will happen what do you want to have happen in any which direction you want to go with with those quarterback spots yeah i think they will sign one of sam to arnold tyrod taylor or teddy bridgewater and i think people will lose their minds about that because people are are famously overreactive about those things but i don't think it will be a long-term commitment to any of the three i think those are three guys who could potentially be nfl starters uh, for, but for for various reasons 
we, we don't fully know whether or not they can reach that potential. And I think Ron would like to spend a year with one of them and see if he can achieve that potential in them with Scott Turner. Uh, I, I think that that's, that's where they end up going. Got it. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, Tyrod Taylor um, is, is not my favorite. I would rather He's, them go for one of these broken toys, like a, a Darnold or somebody like that. Sure. Um, I, I think, I think Darnold's tops on everybody's wish list, right? Um, I, I just think there's a, Adam Gase is so bad and the Jets are so dysfunctional. I feel like there's, there's a lot of like, there could be something there. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I mean, I really don't, I have no, the, the, if I could pick any of them, I would, I would throw it at Jameis Winston. I just don't think he's getting out of New Orleans. I mean, for all the Jameis Winston. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm making the Oprah face. I'm holding my hand down. Wait, you want this team to sign Jameis Winston. I would rather them sign Jameis Winston than trade a day two pick for Sam Darnold, knowing I'm going to then have to. At a minimum, wow. Uh, yeah. At a minimum, I got to give Sam Darnold the fifth year option and possibly have to give him a longer term deal. And I don't even know what he is at this point, at least with Winston, I could take a shot. He did lead the league in passing yards his last year in Tampa. Obviously the interceptions were a lot um, to say the least, but <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, depending on who you listen to and I'm not going to, I won't pretend to be some expert and, you know, I leave it up the film work to a guy like Mark Bullock, but like, you know, some people do think that like the playing in a Bruce Arians offense can lead to high turnovers, um, uh, which is not any, obviously they just won a Super Bowl, So I'm not saying that's necessarily negative, but like for some guys it can. Um, my basic takeaway is whoever, which whoever Scott Turner and I guess Ken Zampezi or Rivera for that matter, thinks they can fix of the guys who have the upside. I would get that guy. Uh, I, my only thing with Darnold is, man, you got to trade for him, and I don't even know what he is. Ugh, uh, that's an issue. But I, I also don't. I guess I'm gonna guess the Jets don't trade him. But that's a whole other story. I just can't get over the Jameis Winston thing. This is fantastic. This is the best podcast we've ever done. You drop a Jameis <laughs> Winston bomb on me 40 minutes into the podcast. Goodness, uh, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, wow. I, I, I could be, I, I can be a sucker for Jameis. Uh, uh, but I mean, you know, like I said, it, it's kind of like but by how I view Rivera. He was kind of like a shrugs the whole time. He's like, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, what do you want from me? Like, we're going to get a quarterback, but I don't know. <laughs> you know, we'll just have to uh, see. Uh, here, here's what here's what I wonder. This is the question. If I could give him sodium pentothal, uh, well, there's probably better questions than this. But in the context <laughs> of this question, it would be if you could do it all over again, would you not win the division? Yeah, well, it. It's, it's a fair question whether, whether winning the division last year will hurt them this year if they win eight games or nine games and do not win the division, do not make the playoffs. It's a fair question. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, I, I presume you wrote something on the, off of this today. So we, whether, he, whether you did or didn't, you'll, re, you'll write other stuff. So go read Michael <laughs> on the Richmond Times Dispatch. Follow him on Twitter at Michael PRTD. Is that right? That's right. All right. Uh, and, uh, and and I'll have something up on The Athletic as well, so you can go read that. Uh, Michael, always appreciate the time. Enjoy the sun. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. The fun starts Monday, and uh, we'll go from there. Jameis Winston, man. I love it. Good, good chat, as always. I, I look forward to many more of these. Uh, we're going to do a Vegas podcast out of Vegas week. It's going to be fantastic. Jameis Winston, man. I love it.
<laughs> I didn't think that was like a hot take. Right. <laughs> what, what can I tell you? Uh, oh, awesome, man. Appreciate it. Catch you later. All right. So we're going to continue uh, talking about NFL free agency, uh, which starts next week. Uh, there's a, a, the, a lot of teams have a lot of interesting players that may apply to Washington. And I thought the Tennessee Titans, both in terms of guys currently on the team and maybe one person, not so much on the team anymore, but still uh, connected with that organization, at least in, 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 in the minds of many would be a good way to start. So joining me here on the podcast uh, are one of the great writers uh, for the athletic covers uh, all things in the Tennessee Nashville area for the athletic. He is Joe Rex road. Joe, I really appreciate the, 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 the time. Are you as psyched for NFL free agency as, Others are, and by that I'm sort of half kidding because uh, <laughs> I'm not I, I, I'm not that psyched for anything anymore in in this pandemic world. But I'm trying to get excited. It is a big deal as, as it comes to what's going to happen with these teams we cover. So I guess it, I guess it matters. Got to be enthused, right? Yeah, I mean I'm you know well thanks for having me first of all Ben and uh, I appreciate that and you know I'm I'm intrigued. I will say that uh, this off season is uh, is very interesting. I, mean, I can't recall an off season. First of all, with just more quarterback news in this one. And I just feel like we are, we've already seen some, but I think we're going to see a lot of big names that are available here soon just because of the cap reality. So uh, it's going to be wilder than normal. Yeah. I mean, I th- we're, we're talking on Monday morning. So between now and by the time this podcast goes up, players will be put on the franchise tag. There'll probably be more p- players released. Um, there, there's a lot in play for sure. But well, right now, we're just kind of going off of what we know. Um, I'm using uh, our, our guy, Shiel Kapadia's list of the top 150 free agents. Shiel was on the podcast that I just put up um, Sunday night, Monday morning. So we're getting a lot of athletic people here. Um, but there's, a, there's, there's definitely some Tennessee Titans here. I, I was going to discuss a couple of them, but right as we started, you mentioned to me, because I didn't mention to you, Johnny Smith, the tight end for the Titans. I didn't mention him initially, I guess, in part because I was thinking he would probably stay. And while tight end is definitely a need for Washington, it's more on the backup end because Logan Thomas was kind of a breakout star. So we don't have to get into Johnny Smith too much, but do you think he will actually be available or is he somebody you think that actually Tennessee is going to lock up and we can you know, focus on other people? Yeah, I think the Titans, I mean, he's really the only tag candidate on this roster, you know, realistically. I mean, Corey Davis, is, and we're, I know we're going to talk about him. He's not someone you're going to pay that much money to on the tag. I do think there's a good chance the Titans apply either the franchise or transition tag to Johnny Smith. And I would say, you know, they have three big, you know, free agents soon to hit the market. To me, he should be the top priority. I believe he is. Um, so, yeah, I would say more than likely they will figure something out and maybe they can, like they did with Derrick Henry last year. Of course, they tagged Derrick Henry, eventually got a long-term deal done with him. I mean, in this year, it's like you tag someone and then you try to get that deal done that, you know, gives you relief this year, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that's the idea. But I do think there are other teams that are definitely going to be interested in John R. Smith. All right, so I'll, 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 I'll put him off to the side and if, if something, if, if the rumors mills, start uh, changing we'll 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 circle back i got you on speed dial here um <laughs> but let's get to some other guys here you mentioned Corey davis i think that's a great place to to to, to start for for real um uh, shield has him number 16 overall 
on the board of free agents, but that's still behind several other wide receivers, uh, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin. Now, again, by the time people hear this podcast, the Bears may have put the tag on Robinson. Same with Godwin in Tampa Bay. Maybe same with Kenny Galladay in Detroit. So where Corey Davis ranks in the wide receiver pool could shift but before we, you know, before we really get started. That said, it feels like in general he's not considered to be in that uh, top group. Those six teams are pretty high number overall. Corey Davis feels like a weird one to me because on the one hand, he's not come close, right, to being living up to the hype of the being the number five overall pick in the draft four years ago. But he simultaneously is coming off the best year of his uh, relatively young career and you know, for a team like Washington that needs more playmaking at receiver, he could make sense. He might even be, from a cost a cost perspective, a better way to go than spending eighteen to twenty million dollars on those other guys. So, what's your deal on Corey Davis? Is he a guy that uh, is worth really kind of getting invested in, or is there questions because overall his four-year career has been, you know, a little bit shaky? Well, Ben, I, you know, I would say the first question about him is health. Um, You know, Corey Davis has had several injuries, including, you know, he had a broken foot coming into the league. Um, And he's, you know, he he has been at least banged up to some extent a lot of his career. Um, He did, you know, he managed to play uh, 14 of the 16 last year, 15 the year before. So, I mean, he's, you know, since his rookie year when he played 11 games, it's been better. But that's still, I think, some of the question with him. As you said, Ben, he had his best year last year, um, really should have been a thousand yard year. There was a lot of stuff that happened this season for Corey Davis. He lost his brother to cancer. He had a baby daughter right at the end of the year. So kind of tailed off some of that impacted his preparation during the week, things like that. Basically had a thousand yard year though. I mean, 65 catches, 15, one per catch. Like I said, his best year. He also is a guy who, you know, certainly benefits in this offense from one, Derrick Henry, and two, A.J. Brown. I mean, A.J. Brown has come in and become the clear number one receiver on this team. And Corey Davis has absolutely been the beneficiary of that. Um, Corey Davis also, if you like receivers who block, you love Corey Davis. Uh, You know, there's a lot of long Derrick Henry touchdown runs or, you know, just long runs that, you know, the Titans coaches will say, well, if Corey Davis didn't take out this safety here or there, you know, it's a it's a 15 yard run rather than a 50 yard run. But he is a really good blocker. I know some people scoff at that, like I don't care if a receiver blocks, but, you know, it depends on where you are it, it, here. It's it's highly valued. He's also, I would say, as good a guy in the locker room as the Titans have. I mean, he's been a complete pro the whole time. You know, like you said, he came in uh, with all that pressure of being the number five overall pick. Um, and it hasn't gone as hoped, but he has, uh, you know, he's been a pro through all that great guy in the locker room and, you know, a guy who I think some, some, uh, people who, uh, don't get their option picked up. There's a little bit of maybe vindictiveness toward the club. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. You know, I think Corey Davis, uh, would be happy playing for the Titans more, but yeah, maybe they may just not be able to afford him. I'm really interested to see what someone especially in this year is willing to pay for Corey Davis I think he's a solid number two receiver in this league so looking here Spotrack they project you know all the top free agents they've got a projection of a 9.8 million dollar annual salary effectively four years 
four or five million. Um, I guess it's, it's hard. I know sure it's hard to say independent of the Titans. Do you think that's a good number for him? Because you're viewing it as you should from the perspective of, well, does this make sense for the Titans? But in general, is that a, is it, when you think of Corey Davis, does that seem like a reasonable number for kind of what he is at? And I guess you could compare it to, again, the Allen Robinsons of the world may be commanding 18 to $20 million. I do. I mean, I think that's about right. I think around 10, 11 million. Um, and obviously, as we know, you know, the guaranteed money is what matters. But yeah, I mean, that's about where I would slot him. Now, you know, it's also, as we know in this league, a lot of guys who should make that in a normal year will get 15 a year because, you know, that's free agency. Maybe this year that's not the case. But yeah, I mean, I think that would be a good price for Corey Davis at his age having reached another level of play. I mean, he's, he's a very good player, but he's, he's not an Allen Robinson. You know? <laughs> right. If he is truly viewed as one of the say 20 best free agents, then I would imagine he does get paid. But I think one thing to keep in mind, this free agency cycle is, you know, we don't, we still at this minute don't know the exact cap number of uh, 180 million is kind of where we're at, but it, you know, it could be a little bit a, a tick over that. I mean, I've had some, an agent or two tell me that if they're going to negotiate a long-term deal, they're going to tell teams, hey, that's not the number I'm working with, because we all understand that this is a weird year because of the pandemic and the lost revenue. But by next year, you know, it's going to go up. So we're not going to negotiate a deal off of those terms. Based on sort of that, do you think there's a world in which Corey Davis and the Titans can agree on a one year deal for him to then get back out there next year when the, the number goes up? Or do you think that that would be or Rada, what do you think about that scenario? No, absolutely. No, I mean, I think we'll see a lot of that. And I think, I mean, he, you know, Titans general manager, John Robinson said that not specifically about Corey Davis, but he talked about like, I think there's going to be a lot of one-year deals out there, you know, be, because of that exact reason. So I do think that's a possibility and it would make sense for Corey Davis too. You know, uh, you like where you are, you're on a team that just won a division, went 11 and five, you know, a year before that got the AFC title game. Um, you can sign that deal and then go back to market and hopefully things look a lot better a year from now. Obviously there's a risk in that, but I, I do think that's possible with him and a lot of guys. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you mentioned the idea of like, he it could just get too expensive for Tennessee. Like my one caveat, when I keep saying Washington does need another receiver, there's indications that they will go out and try to get one, but they've got Terry McLaurin the same year as AJ Brown, right. Coming out, not this year, but next year, they can start con contemplating giving him more money. And I don't personally like spending a ton at receiver, maybe on one guy, but not multiple guys. And so like, I, I would imagine if you're Tennessee, you're thinking, well, we got AJ Brown, we got to keep him. Yes. So do we really want to spend for two guys? And that's where I would think that there would be some debate. And then for teams like Washington, I would think it would be the other way. Well, we already have our guy on McLaurin. We need more help, but do we really want to have two guys making 10, $12 million a year or more? Um, I think that becomes an interesting thing for Washington yeah, no, right I'm sorry yeah sorry Ben. and yeah like for the Titans it's like well okay someone wants to pay Corey Davis 12 14 million or whatever okay well Marvin Jones you can get him for six right and and, and the Titans really need depth whether they keep Davis or not they're really weak at the back end of the receiver room so you know I think they're going to certainly draft a receiver with one of their higher picks and it may just be that they'd prefer to you know, build the depth and, like you said, not pay two guys a lot because, yes, they are absolutely going to be paying A.J. Brown soon. Uh, for sure. All right, let's talk about another guy who's probably going to get paid this offseason, I think, and that would be at linebacker Jayon Brown. Um, 
he's he's number 35 on Shields list. Now he's one spot behind Matt Milano with the Bills, who's somebody we've been talking about more. Um for no other reason other than anybody who's even remotely connected in some weird way to Ron Rivera and his staff. I'm eyeing and Matt Milano comes from Buffalo and there's a whole connection with Brandon Bean, the GM there and Rivera and Marty Herney and all that stuff. But uh, he may, there may be other people interested in him or maybe they don't go for him at all. But if they do want another linebacker and Washington does need help there, uh, Brown is somebody to consider. He did have a season end and season ending elbow injury uh, that, that, that cut his season down uh, to just to 10 games. But obviously if he's making this list, to the, at, at number 35 he's interesting he's only 26 what's your view of of Jayon brown you both in terms of do you think you know, what kind of player is he and is he somebody you think actually is going to get uh sprung free into a free agency uh, yeah well first of all in the second part of that i think he will i don't think the titans can pay him you know they they drafted david long jr out of west virginia and he filled in pretty well for Jayon brown not only last year but uh, in the playoff win at baltimore you know, after the 2019 season, when of course Baltimore was 14 and two, the one seed, David Long was big in that game. Gian Brown was out then with a shoulder. So he's had his share of injuries as well. And I just think the reality of the Titans situation is they just can't pay him. I mean, he's probably the best pick of John Robinson's tenure, fifth round pick who has become, I mean, he's a playmaker. He's good in coverage, maybe not great, but he's good. Um, he's a, he, but he has a knack for making plays you know, for forcing turnovers of being in the right spot. He had a huge, you know, drop and pick of Ben Roethlisberger in a game this year, for example, which gave them a chance to come back and win. They missed a field goal that would have sent it to overtime. But he he is – he just has a special feel. He's a guy with the green dot out there. They trust him. He's a very smart player. Um, and I – but just don't think they can pay him. It's just – you know, it's the reality of you have Rashawn Evans on his rookie deal – you have uh, David Long in his rookie deal. You have to shed salary in a lot of different places. So I, I can't imagine. I mean, if they're going to pay Jayon Brown, then, I mean, they might have to cut, you know, two of their three starting corners to make that happen or one or more offensive linemen. And uh, so I think, again, the priority for them will be Jonu Smith, then probably Corey Davis and Jayon Brown in that order. And I think Jayon Brown is – a, a really interesting player, I, you know, I, like a really, he's undersized and that's part of why he went where he went in the draft. But, you know, just some guys have that knack for, for, you know, that feel for where the ball is going to be and what, you know, he's a guy who calls stuff out a lot pre-snap and hey, he's going to be a nice player for somebody. Um, You know, I, I didn't ask you this about Corey Davis, but I, I should ask you on both of these guys. Um, the, the the culture word is a big one in these parts. Ron Rivera mentions and it mentions it incessantly, and I think he is going to lean in that direction as much as as he will on talent because he is trying to uh, you know change things around here. And obviously, if you pay attention to Washington in the news, for especially reasons off the field, <laughs> culture talk is a big deal. Well, I know everybody was away from the team this year because of the pandemic, so it was a Zoom world, but. These guys, both Brown and, and uh, Davis, are not new. We're not new to Tennessee last year. What's your sense about these guys from like a culture, locker roomy kind of standpoint? Locker room leaders, anybody with any questionable background, and anything there on that front? I mean, both of them as good as it gets, honestly. And and that's one thing, you know, John Robinson has been very good at um, in terms of you know the the, the vetting process, uh, you know, in the in the draft and all that stuff. And obviously, they they have a big miss on their hands and Isaiah Wilson last year's first round pick, but 
Yeah, both of those guys, Corey Davis, Jayon Brown, instantly absolute credits to a locker room. There's terrific leaders, great guys. So, yeah, from that standpoint, they're even more attractive. All right. Um, so, uh, so two interesting guys is there that were on Tennessee this year. Now let's get to the last guy, not on Tennessee this year, but most famously for playing with the Titans. And that, of course, is Marcus Mariota. I've talked about him more than I've talked about most players on Washington this offseason. <laughs> I, I don't even really know why. I don't really, I can't even definitively say he's going to be here by any stretch. But, you know, there's been some sense that Washington has been interested. I've, I reported that they supposedly at least talked to the Raiders about a trade. And, and obviously it's been discussed that the Raiders pretty much have to either trade him uh, or release him before free agency starts, not because they're forced to by contract, but just if the point is to move his salary so that they, um, you know, have that money available, they don't want to pay, you know, over $10 million to a backup makes sense. Um, but he was, you know, drafted, of course, second overall pick a few years ago by the Titans, uh, you know, up and down to say the least Ryan Tannehill comes in, uh, you know, turns his career around. He gets the job. Mariota's gone. I don't know. I mean, he only Marietta only played the one game last year. And I know you weren't paying, I don't know how much you were paying attention to him there, but I guess the basic question is I keep thinking if I'm Washington, I'm going after one of these quarterbacks that are available that I think I can fix. And he's one of those guys that has some of the upside that you want to see, but needs some fixing. I think is he fixable? That's the, basically what I guess what, what I want to know at, based on your time being around him and seeing him. What, what do you think about uh, fixing Marcus Mariota? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, now, Ben, I've got to jump in here on a Nashville pet peeve and a uh -oh. Mariota family pet peeve. I, I mean, mo like 98% of football says Mariota, but it is Mariota. And, oh. and believe me, the Mariota, I mean, like he, <laughs> we like every year when he was here, it was like, because like they'd be on Thursday night football or occasionally Monday night football and the whole game, Mariota. And we'd ask him, Okay, they keep calling your name, Mariota. What do you think? And of course, he'd say, "Well, it's no big deal." But um, yes, the, I I do have to. If he comes to Washington, you can be the trendsetter to be the one <laughs> person to call him Mariota, you know, and let everybody follow the lead. But um, <laughs> but yeah, as far as a player, I tell you what, Ben, it's tough because in 2016, his second year in the league, I thought we were watching a star blossoming. And he was just really, really good that year. If you look at his numbers, they're by far the best numbers of his career. That was a team, you know, they, that Titans had been five and 27. This was Mike Malarkey's offense with, uh, with DeMarco Murray as the lead back, but then Derrick Henry is a rookie, really not much at all at receiver. Delaney Walker was still a very good player at tight end, but he was, he was terrific. I mean, he was a big time playmaker. They were on the verge of winning the division and they go to Jacksonville and he uh, goes down and breaks his leg. It's actually the same day Derek Carr broke his leg. Uh, that year was, uh, you know, week, like the 15th game of the season. He has not really been the same player since then. He was still pretty good the next year and he won a playoff game in Kansas City with a huge second half. Uh, and then you get to the beginning of 2018, uh, you get uh, a nerve injury, you know, like kind of a neck, nerve, shoulder thing. Like all year he's talking about, it's, he talked about like, basically it's like strumming a, a guitar. That's how it felt at times to like grip the ball and throw the ball. Okay. So he missed the uh, finale against Indy, which was a win and end game uh, because of this injury. And it just played him all year long. He was really bad in 2019 before Tannehill took over. And for me, the contrast of course is 
seeing basically the same conditions for one guy. And then you watch the next guy come in and it's so night and day. So at that point I was like, look, Marcus Mariota is, he's a broken quarterback. And I think when you, when you add up those injuries and what it did to him, especially in the pocket, um, he was not a guy who had the quote unquote happy feet early in his career. And he was very much that guy later in his career. He was, he, he felt that rush way before it got there way too often. So you ask me if he's fixable. I can't say no way. Um, you know, obviously the longer he goes without a serious injury, the better chances of that happening. He's still a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, and he's a guy who the Titans tried to really uh, keep from running too much, but he's a big time athlete. He's got all of the ability. Um, I think he's a great leader, even though he's not an especially vocal guy. I just don't know if how many guys can get to that point in this league and then go back to what they were. How many guys get to the point where, you know, you've been hurt so much that it affects you in the pocket, whether you want it to or not, and then get rid of that. I mean, I don't know. I, I, in fact, I'd love to, to hear some examples on that, but I just feel like he has gone the wrong way um, largely because of the injuries. Yeah. The, the, I don't know aspect is how I feel about it. every time somebody asks me what's Washington going to do a quarterback, because all the options are some version of what you just described with Mariota. It's some, I keep using the term misfit toys, but it's like, <laughs> there's there, if you put a quarterback out of the street, they're there for a reason. And unfortunately for teams like Washington and the bears, there's just nobody that's just like screams, at least not to the outside. The, wow, this guy is great. Uh, Mariota is interesting, but there's definitely some concerns. You mentioned the injuries. Um, but rather than follow up with that, because I have talked about him a bit, I do. I just was thinking Desmond King is another guy who's a free agent that you guys that's on the Titans. And he was, I did a story the other day about all the players in free agency who have any ties to somebody in Washington. And Chris Harris, the defensive back coach here, was an assistant DB coach with the Chargers, which is where Desmond King was before he got to the Titans. He's kind of another guy who has kind of fallen off in his career a bit, but he's only 26 and Washington may need a corner. Anything there to be interested in if you're a team that's looking for corners? Definitely. He, he was good. And I don't know what all happened in San Diego, but he was a really good pickup for the Titans. Very good slot cornerback. So, you know, for their, from their perspective, I just mentioned they may have to cut two guys. They may need, you know, they've got Malcolm Butler or Dory Jackson on bigger deals that they may need to, uh, they may opt to do that so that they can sign him. But yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, his price of course is going to be lower because of, as you mentioned, you know, it kind of things went the wrong way with the chargers, but I was really impressed in, in the short glimpse we had of him here of what he is as a player. And I think he's got a lot of good football ahead of him. All right. Well, well, well he, he's on the list of guys that uh, have some connection here. So, and it's a position needs. We'll definitely keep, an eye on it. Um, Joe, I really appreciate the time and the insight. It's, you know, it's easy to look at lists and, uh, you know, try to try to get a sense, but it's easier to, to talk to people who, who are watching it, who are on the ground or who are thinking about it. And you're obviously one of those guys and obviously a great source in, uh, in, in, uh, in that Nashville area. So Joe, thank you so much for your time and hopefully uh, we'll talk soon. And if they get Mariota or one of these guys, you will be, uh, I will be calling back immediately. All right, I'm in. <laughs> thanks for having me, Ben. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Yep, thanks. All right, we're going to keep talking about NFL free agency, but we're going to veer away from just purely talking about 
players and and uh, you know sort of the the, the gut feel and, and and film and all that. We're going to get into some so some numbers and some analytics, and nobody to talk about that better than a guy who has a really really good first name who also lives <laughs> relatively near me. He is uh, Ben Baldwin at Ben B Baldwin on Twitter. Uh, another person who writes for the athletic as well a lot in common here ben how uh, how are we doing over there uh pretty good it's uh it's an uh, i like being local and kind of keeping an eye on what washington football team is up to and they're um they have a very fascinating off season for a number of reasons so i'm uh happy to dive in and um talk through this stuff i can't even remember i, I mean you and i met once um near where you work and it i think it was during the like sort of the, during the 2019 season but it might as well feel like it was 10 years ago at this point because of the world uh yeah i don't know something like that right yeah i think it was not super long before the pandemic um but i i do have the same memory of like sitting together in a coffee shop surrounded by other people (laughs) and thinking that that was a totally normal thing to do because it was at the time and um it's, it's been a long time since that was the case a long a long time for, for sure. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you, if you're following Ben on Twitter, I mean, if, if you're not, you should, but if you are, you know, he's a, he's a guy who, who really dives into um, the, the, the numbers looks, you know, beyond just sort of like the, what most of us do sort of to some degree, you know, the, 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 the eye test um, looking at basic stats, he, he's trying to get into kind of what makes sense and, 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 and how to, look at all this from a different way by the way let me just say at the top before we even get into all this literally so we're talking monday evening and literally the dak prescott signing just happened eight seconds ago as we're as we're starting um so i don't think we we, i've never talked about dak prescott one time for washington so it's irrelevant but i am just sort of curious putting you on the spot to a degree but what's your sense of dak prescott he's the numbers here are going to be off the charts from the salary perspective um you've been dealing with the russell wilson stuff you just wrote about (laughs) recently on the athletic what's your sense of Dak Prescott? If it's important for the NFC East, I guess, like what's your view of him as far as like a quarterback? Is he, is he worth all this talk as being, you know, one of the more elite quarterbacks or I don't know, what, what's your view of him? Yeah, I, I think he definitely is. And um, the, the money is certainly going to raise some eyebrows, but if you're in the Cowboys position and you have a quarterback as good as he is, then you, you do everything you can to keep him. And, and we've seen um, like, with Washington, for example, in, in the post-Kirk Cousins era, if, if you don't have a quarterback, you're just kind of cycling through guys and trying to hit on somebody and just kind of being caught in this no-man's land. So um, the, the Cowboys will certainly have fewer resources to work with because he will take up a reasonable number of, uh, of their cap space. But if they draft well and, and do free agency well, then he should give them a chance to reach this ceiling of an elite offense um, like we saw with them uh, in, in 2019 and even parts of 2020. And that's, that's like factor a number one in, in terms of what you need to have Super Bowl upside. It's amazing. He got this deal after he blew out his ankle. Yep. Yeah. Like, and that I remember right when that happened and people, he blew out his ankle and people were so sad because it, it felt like he bet on himself and got burned for it. So one of, one of the, my first reactions is that that's great for him that he still had that happen to him and still walked away with the money afterwards. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Um, 
Yeah, for sure. I, I right before we started, I made the bad joke to you that I'm it's a good thing Washington locked up Taylor Heineke before Dak Prescott <laughs> reset the uh, reset the quarterback market here. But uh, yeah, but uh, that, that is a very that that tells you where kind of they but where they are. One one team just gave this guy 120 million guaranteed, and Taylor Heineke signed uh, basically for like a four million dollar contract that he might start for Washington. But we will we will get to that. Maybe we'll even talk a little bit about quarterbacks here. Um, so, so let's just start broadly with, with this sort of like when you're talking about analytics, so like at a high level, what, what's important? What, what do you, what do teams kind of looking at uh, when we, when we discuss, uh, you know, when we're talking about analytics, what, what, do, what do you view as important? Yeah. So I think one of, one of the main lessons in the last, I, I was going to say a few years, but maybe even going back even longer is that at a high level, a team the, the first order thing that tells us about how good a team is, is how good their passing offense is. And it's not that the other phases of the game don't matter. Um, having a defense certainly helps you a lot. Um, having a good run game um, certainly helps you as, a lot, as, as we saw in, in 2019 with the 49ers. But if you look at the teams that reach uh, the divisional round, the conference championship rounds every year, it, it tends to be the teams that are in the top five to eight teams or so in passing offense. And this is... Um, in the recent season, it was the Packers, the Bills, the Chiefs, um, and the Buccaneers. And they're, they're all teams um, that have other strengths, yes, especially the Buccaneers, but they also have um, very good passing offenses with teams um, designed around their quarterbacks to get the most out of their quarterback. So it, if I were putting myself in the shoes of an NFL team, I would say my priority one, if I do not have an elite passing offense, is how can I construct my team so that my passing offense is better. And for Washington, there, there are a lot of holes there. Um, quarterback being most obvious example, but um, even wide receiver there, there's not a lot there that's proven after Terry McLaurin, who's awesome, but it's just one person. Um, yeah. So like if, if, if passing offense is that it is, it, it may be for you the, the number one indicator of kind of, what 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 makes a good a good team and obviously we if you know this isn't breaking news quarterbacks are really super important um we we've been talking all this time we just talked about Dak Prescott in that situation Deshaun Watson is still hanging out there um as a possible trade uh, target if Houston decides to, to let him go um it is so hard to find these guys. That's what makes them so valuable, but it's also why teams are so desperate to go try to find somebody. Like, do you think like when you see teams do whatever it is, I'll trade, somebody's going to trade up in in this draft to try to get one of these guys. Somebody may take a big swing and offer uh, somebody who none of us are looking at as a big deal in free agency, good money because they have to take a swing. Do you kind of, while some people may like laugh at some of this and say, Oh, you're overpaying. Do you look at it because of what you're saying and saying, you know what? Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but you have to get this guy. So you, whatever it takes to get this guy, you should go do it. Yeah, I, I think that's basically right. And it, it's not always going to work out. And we, we've seen plenty of examples of it uh, not working out. Um, but you've seen teams take these big swings at quarterbacks, um, like the Chiefs trading up for Mahomes. Um, uh, the Bills were criticized for drafting Josh Allen where they did. And like maybe it wasn't the quote-unquote smart move, but if you don't have a quarterback who you think gives you that championship upside and your goal is to win a Super Bowl, then I think you kind of have to keep taking shots at these guys because um, if you don't have an elite quarterback, you you might have a great season or maybe even great two seasons. But if, if you're going to be in the mix here and you're, you're, you're in and you're out, those those teams all, as you said, have the common thread of having that dependable 
person at the most important position in the sport. All right, so we'll get to some specifics in a moment, but just to sort of stay with this broader idea of like uh, and analytics and what teams are kind of kind of looking at um, some positions, I guess, from what you you know you were kind of saying to me, have it's it, it, there's more data out there that, than others. Uh, offense, it seems like you know the skill position players and quarterback. There's there's good data there. Maybe same with the pass rushers. Um, what what do you what can you glean from those positions? I guess um, with this information that that maybe gives more insight than just sort of watching the tape and things like that. Yeah. So every team is going to use tape as kind of the starting point um, as they should, but there are um, other indicators that we can find. Um, and as you mentioned, pass rush, um, one of the findings more more recently has been, or maybe even not recently anymore, is that um, the, the pressure rate that uh, defensive players get, um, how, how often they pressure quarterbacks is something that is pretty uh, stable from year to year. So if you see somebody who has a lot of pressures, but might not have happened to have that many sacks in a given year, then um, in the future, we might expect them to break out or something like that. So, so that's an example of um, possibly using data to kind of cast a net in terms of potential players to target. Um, the, the one position that from a data standpoint, I basically ignore is anybody who is um, playing pass defense. So basically defensive backs and linebackers who specialize in coverage. And that's just because we have basically no useful data on these players. And that's because you, you basically need tracking data, which nobody in the public has. And that this is an example of something that teams are doing, at least the smart teams. And we just have no idea on the outside and aren't able to do anything with it ourselves. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like when it comes to looking at Washington plays a game or maybe if I'm looking, especially as we're here to, hitting free agency and I'm looking to see about some player who's a free agent, maybe is interesting, or maybe Washington signs somebody and I'm like, oh, well, I, let, me, let me get the quick crash course on who this person is. I may absolutely look at, say, pro football focus and yep. they've got handy numbers and they tell me things. Um, uh I don't know what you think of them and I'm not asking you to say whatever, but you know, you can speak, speak honest, but what are, are you kind of say, I've always get the sense, I guess, with defense in general, and maybe like you're saying the back seven, that if they sign a cornerback and by, based on the data, it says X, Y, or Z, this guy is good. This is not whatever. Is that a grain of salt situation or is that a different deal? And I don't mean to pick on pro football focus specifically. That's just the one that, that comes to mind. Cause I use how much data for anybody out there is sort of good with some of these things and how much is more questionable. Yeah, I, I think PFF is very good at almost every position. And then the, the major exception are the like basically defensive backs, um, safeties and cornerbacks. And uh, as an example that listeners of this podcast would know, uh, Quentin Dunbar was rated as pro football focuses number two cornerback in 2019. And right. um, the Seahawks acquired him for basically nothing. And the whole offseason, everyone at Seahawks fair is like, oh my gosh, the Seahawks got the second best cornerback in the entire league. And then um, partially because of injuries and partially because of bad play, he was just not good for the Seahawks in 2020. So um, cornerback play is something that is pretty hard to evaluate because some of their job is just um, not letting um, quarterbacks throw in their direction in the first place. And that's kind of, that can be hard to measure uh, with data and in a grading system. So yeah, for PFF, like quarterbacks, running backs, offensive line, defensive line, like all, all of those positions, I think PFF does a great job with and it's um 
coverage players that I think they're still working on like, nailing down exactly how to best quantify their contributions. Um, and I, you uh, informed me on Twitter earlier that you had you had listened to my uh, podcast, or at least some of it with uh, that I did with Kevin Clark the other day, because he and I in part talked about Ron Rivera and Ron Rivera yep. with analytics and things like that. And um, I do this bit where I ask people random questions. The one question I Oh, no, wait, I think I asked this to Robert Mays earlier, but whatever, it still, still applies. It was sort of him, it was, the question was, what's like your go-to analytics stat that you like to use? You, I don't know if, I, if it's right to say you're creating your own stats, but you have a lot of interesting charts constantly. Is there any one stat, one, you know, whatever it is that you like, whatever the position that you like the most that you think either tells you, gives you the best depiction of what's happening or Maybe it's just, I don't know, fun, if that's the right word. It's something you yeah. just like. Yeah, I, it, like, if I wanted just, if I had to point people towards one stat that best quantifies play, I, I would absolutely point to PFF, um, as long as it wasn't a defensive back, perhaps. Not that there's really anything better, but, like, if, if you don't have a lot of time and you want to just get a quick idea of how a player has played, and the, these grades don't uh, appear out of nowhere, they are literally somebody watching every single play and assigning a grade and yeah they might not know the play call and maybe that'll affect some percentage of the plays but when people have gone and tested out like how do pff grades um in a given season predict players performance in the following season um, they they tend to do a pretty good job uh, for most positions so I, i'm perfectly happy saying um at, at a at a first blush then that is um totally fine to look at those plays um, okay, so so let's get to some specific players. Um, we'll mostly just focus on quarterbacks and receivers, not defensive backs. We we we, we know that. Um, uh, we've talked about we've talked about them uh, at other times. Um, let, let's just start with receivers, just for the for the hell of it. Now we're talking, as I said on Monday, the franchise tag deadline is um, tomorrow, Tuesday. So we'll we'll see what happens in between. You know, it's possible some of these guys are are, are, are tagged, whatever. But regardless. Um, so there's, we've talked about receivers a bunch here. There's obviously the higher end guys, your Allen Robinsons, your Chris Godwins, your Juju Smith-Schusters, Kenny Galladay, and then maybe your next tier, your Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis. I don't know if T.Y. Hilton's in there technically, but a guy like them. And, and then you can get into like deeper realms of Nelson Aguilar, Kel, uh, Ken, uh, Bourne on San Francisco, Higgins from Cleveland. And there's even like a, a Cam Sims is an RFA for 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 here um how, however you want to look at it or if you want to go group by group whatever you want to do what stands out to you because i kind of i kind of threw some of these names out to you in advance what kind of stands out to you from this group anybody particular anything particular of, of note to you from from these guys yeah so the um the tag group is uh, both interesting and hard to talk about um i would be kind of surprised if especially Godwin and Robinson hit the market without any inside knowledge or anything like that. But it, it feels like those, those players are just too good and at too important of a position to let for their teams to let them walk, but who knows. Um, when talking about very high price receivers or very high price free agents, usually I'm kind of skeptical about shelling out money for like a really big ticket player, which would be like a Chris Godwin or something like that. But I think I have, sort of talked at least myself into thinking that it might be okay this offseason just because it's so unique in terms of how many teams actually have cap money to spend so it's not like the normal situation where if you're signing a, a high price free agent you're outbidding 31 other teams and um 
it, it's very hard to get a good deal like that. But if you're one of the few teams that has cap space and there's somebody who like Chris Godwin, who is young and very, very good, then I think it is possibly <laughs> worth it depending on where the money comes in. So he'd be the one player in that tier I, I would consider, I think. Um, the, the couple in the next tier down that I think are really interesting is one is Will Fuller. And the, of course, the caveat with him is being able to stay on the field both because of the injuries and then um, can't remember what he got suspended for uh, last season. But um, the, the Texans have always been on offense much better when he's been on the field, even though um, during that time, DeAndre Hopkins was kind of the guy that um, grabbed um, a lot of the accolades for good reason, because he's great. Um, but Fuller, um, even though there, there's a lot of noisiness and randomness in the, these on-off stats, he, his presence on the field seemed to make a big difference for that offense. Um, he's still pretty young, um, and having that and the speed element seems to open up a lot of things. So he'd be someone, um, if he's not super expensive, I'd be interested in. And then the other one is uh, Curtis Samuel, um, as you wrote about with the connection to Ron Rivera, if Rivera thinks that he might be a good fit. So I, I think those would be kind of the the players I would look at first, but um, there's a lot of people uh, in this class and, and also in the, in the draft class, depending on what they're planning on doing with their early picks uh, as well. When, when you would look at analytics and, and things like that, um, obviously you're looking at the whole picture. You're, you're not just looking at numbers, you're looking at the whole, at the whole thing. Um, here's one thing I'm always curious about, and I'm, I probably should have uh, mentioned this before we even started, but you're smart. You, you, this is easy for you. Like, I think if I were to rank all the positions, uh, uh, you know, on the, the not, not, you know, not special teams, all the offense and defense positions, for me, in terms of like, where do I want to spend my assets to, to build the best team I could possibly can? You can't go completely bare at, at receiver. You got to have somebody. But like, to me, it's one of the lower positions I would, I would invest in. I, I would maybe have the one guy and then I would, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't invest a ton there. It's, it's, you know, literally one of the further positions away from the ball at the snap. They're not in on every play. Yes, technically run blocking, but I mean, you know, uh, even the better receivers are catching six passes a game, uh, you know, and, and so on and so on. Like, so I'm always slightly hesitant to invest a ton at that position. And I bring this up in part because Washington, not now, but by say next year, they may have to start contemplating. Do, do they give Terry McLaurin an extension? He's, he's up in 2023. So it's still more, two more years, but if you pay somebody now a four-year deal worth, whatever, you're going to put in theory be putting a lot into that position. You know, I know you can sort of play with the contract and and have more money up early, or whatever. But I'm just curious: Do you view how do you view the receiver position? Is it one worth of putting big investment into, or do you view it maybe to some degree like I am, where maybe it's on the back end of, of the positions? Important, like everything's important, but it's not to win, to really build a winning team. It isn't necessarily where you want to put a, a chunk of your assets. Yeah, I think this is a great question and um, teams have a limited amount of resources to invest and you you probably don't want to be extremely heavy on one position. Um, and I think for offensive line, especially like you need to have some bare competency at offensive line or you're just not going to be able to have a functioning offense. So you, says, you shouldn't invest. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it says the guy who pays attention to the Seattle Seahawks a lot. Yeah, exactly. So no, no matter how good your quarterback and receivers are, if, if you can't pass block, then your offense is just going to look like a mess. Um, and yeah, I, I can see the argument for 
if the plan if, if the team is planning on shelling out a lot of money to McLaurin in uh, a couple of years, then maybe the draft would be a better um, place to look for another receiver rather than free agency. And I think that's a totally fine argument. Um, the one kind of drawback is that even if you're planning on investing a high pick in a receiver, the hit rates at the top of the draft aren't great. And, and we can both think of a lot of examples of highly drafted receivers um, that haven't worked out. And, and even looking at the Eagles, um, they've, they've spent a lot of draft capital on receivers and are not uh, in great shape. Yeah, no, you mentioned Will Fuller. Washington traded back one pick so Houston could take Fuller. And then with the next pick, they took Josh Dodson. So yep. there's, there's, That's there's, another. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's an example. Um, all right. We're, we're talking here with uh, Ben Baldwin, one of my colleagues at The Athletic. Um, let, let me wrap it up here with, with quarterbacks. Um, everybody asks the, 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 the questions I get the most, what are they going to name the team next and who's playing quarterback? I can't really, I don't know how to answer either of those things. You would think at least with the, 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 the the quarterback, it shouldn't be that complicated. Eric, two or three options. I, I don't even, I don't have a clue. All the available, all the likely available options that we've talked about a hundred times here. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to just say, yeah, go get that guy. They're all sort of, you know, I keep using the term misfit toys. I need to come up with a better one because I keep using it over and over again. Um, and the draft, who knows if they're even going to get anybody at 19. So for our purposes, we'll just put the draft aside. There is also the Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke thing. Maybe you, based on what you've seen, you, you buy you buy into those guys uh, enough to say, don't worry about it. But w- what's your sense? You don't have to go through the list of all the, 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 the potential options that are available um, that we know or a couple guys you could possibly trade for your Sam Darnolds and your Marcus Mariotas. So based on what you look at, how you look at the world, what's your sense of the quarterbacks that they may be able to, to get as their uh, starter? Yeah, so going back to the question of like, who gives me championship upside and looking at this list of quarterbacks, like I think not a lot of them you would say yes to. So you're like Andy Dalton, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Tyra Taylor, um, probably Marcus Mariota. Like I think... Like they're fine for a stopgap with minimal investment, but for the most part, we know who these players are and they're, they're not really going to change the course of your franchise. The, the one player who I think might be worth rolling the dice on if he didn't cost too much to acquire and, and we'll see what the Jets do in the draft is Sam Darnold. Um, and he's had a really not promising start to his career and like none of his efficiency or grading or anything looks good, um, which isn't exactly a ring endorsement, but He's, he's still only 23 years old, um, has the draft pedigree to the extent that that still matters. And um, there, I think there's a chance that if he had a better environment around him, then uh, the Jets have supplied him. Um, going back to pass protection, um, it, it's been very bad. The receiving weapons haven't been great. He's been coached by Adam Gase. And like we, we can remember the Ryan Tannehill post-Gase breakout. So I think... It, it's not a great chance, but there's a chance that there's still a salvageable player there and um, he would thrive in a different place. And if that's not there, then I guess just roll with Cam Newton would be the obvious name given the Ron Rivera connection and kind of bide your time until there is actually an opportunity to kind of acquire one of the top flight quarterbacks, which is what they should be always thinking about doing. 
they should be thinking about that. They made a play for Stafford, and I, which I was down with. And then it's just like, oh man, this is not a great, not a great spot. I, I, it's going to be fascinating to see over time. Did winning the division screw them up long term because they went from having yep. the tenth or eleventh yep. pick to nineteen? Yeah, um, and now that Dak Prescott is back, um, presumably the Cowboys will be. Um, Winning the division in the certainly in the future. favorite going into the year now for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they must have very high odds for winning the division because it, it's not like the division was very good last year and there haven't really been meaningful upgrades in any of the other teams. So with Dak back, you would think they would be favorites. Um, and um, if if they do win the division, then then Washington will have better draft assets to get a quarterback in the future. But uh, the unfortunate part of this is they they have a great defense with a lot of those defensive pass rushers in their prime and every season without competent quarterback play it, it feels like um, sort of a waste for them. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's the one problem with with football in general. It is the flaw in the sport that this one position is so heavily weighted that if you don't have one, you, you basically have to have the eighty five Bears defense to yep. you know to have a real shot um and and obviously that's you know <laughs> that's not uh that, that's not easy um I'll, I'll get you i get you out of here on this uh, feel free to answer this however you want and, and maybe i'm looking at this wrong i have why i think i've said this before in the podcast for whatever the reason during the pandemic i've watched mo- the movie Moneyball <laughs> and 10 times big fan mm-hmm. I, I just love it's a great movie but the, the brad pitt jonah hill relationship might be my favorite couple that's not a real like you know romantic couple uh in any movie um are there is there any player that based on whatever however you're looking at stuff that you again maybe you're not looking at it in this way so i don't want to presume that you are but is there any one that you look at and you think boy this guy is just so underrated when every time i i when i whatever numbers i look at any charts i come up with just even just watching him play it feels like this guy should be bigger than he is and i think he's going to be a pretty good value for somebody whatever the position doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be applicable to washington per se is anybody sort of come to mind again if i'm if you're not even looking at it like that tell me to shut up but like if the does anything come to mind for you in that in that kind of realm so this isn't relevant to free agency but when you were saying the first part of the the question the first player that came to mind was Kirk Cousins <laughs> wow really <laughs> so he's I, I know he's a, a contentious <laughs> topic here um but he like he's led a lot of very good passing offenses and and one could say like he's been surrounded by talent and he had McVay and Shanahan when he was here and yeah all that is true but like people people think of him as like just a straight up bad quarterback and he like I think he at least gives the teams a floor in terms of what they can expect out of their offense and um, still gets a lot of hate um, in part because of decisions he makes which do not look great but I, I think overall his play is pretty good but that that I think you're looking for a free a free agent answer and uh, for that one I don't really have one. All, all, all good. Giving giving a Kirk Cousins answer is is totally fine. <laughs> but I, I, I'm with you though. Like I remember like saying when Stafford it's not the ceiling it's that he has a high floor relative to everybody else and all these other guys it's like i have no idea like technically sure i guess andy dalton has a floor that's not terrible but like (laughs) but there's just no ceiling so so it's just like that's not exciting but yeah somebody like cousins 
he has a puncher's chance. If the breaks go his way, he could be in the Super Bowl. He could have been in one by now. It just, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Maybe that's on him. Maybe it isn't. But that is how these things go. And and people, I do agree, kind of probably with him and others, you know, they, they just make certain judgments because of the end result. But that's, you know, life is not always a straight line. You can't always just say, this is, you know, go do X and, you know, you go to the Super Bowl. Well, how am I doing that? The other guy's here. Well, you know, the other team's good too. So I'm with you. <laughs> Um, ben, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, for the time and the insight. Uh, everybody, of course, go go check Ben out. Uh, go, go read his stuff on The Athletic. Uh, go read, uh, go follow him on uh, on Twitter. I'm just completely blanking here. What is it, Ben? Uh, ben B. Baldwin. And, yeah. and you have the uh, the Ben bot, right? The, the, the fourth down? Uh, yes. Uh, um, yeah, that's the um, – it's Ben underscore bot underscore Baldwin that – um, during during the season, during live games, tweets out what it thinks um, coaches should do, and they they often don't do that. But um, <laughs> Washington went from I think the the very worst team in terms of following the bot in 2019, uh, very very conservative to in 2020, um, Rivera really um, turned them around. So uh, it that that's been uh, fun to watch as well. Very cool, very cool. I forgot to mention among his exploits, he gets he, he, he Mina Kimes uh, talks to him on Twitter. I, I'm super jealous whenever I see anybody <laughs> that that's happening too. So props to you for that. Um, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me. Should be a interesting offseason. Oh boy, no doubt. <laughs> All right, many thanks to the not one, not two, but three guests on this week's episode: Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times Dispatch, plus my teammates at the Athletic, Joe Rexroad and Ben Baldwin. Uh, definitely some interesting views. This is why, obviously, I like to think I have a sense of the world and what's going on, but this is why you want to talk to other people, especially people who are covering teams that you're not. Uh, you know, I you know, I was talking to somebody uh, just yesterday about um, one of the little, to say one of the big NFL uh, news that kind of came out over the last 48 hours and you know I was saying something from the outside perspective and they were telling me no actually it's kind of a different way and um, I remember here when when the RG3 and Kirk Cousins situation was going on when Cousins was replacing RG3 and the national opinion was oh boy here goes Washington again making the big mistake and those, those of us here were like eh I don't know about that. Um, in any event, so I really appreciate everybody's view. And uh, look, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. There's a lot more to get to. Free agency starts on Monday. If all goes well, I anticipate having another podcast this week. So hang tight for that. I think you guys will like it, but uh, we'll see. If you're listening at the hour 33 mark of this podcast, you are a diehard. I greatly appreciate you. And I know you'll be tuning in regardless. So for now, that's it for this episode of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Until next time, see ya.